I saw this tweet earlier and we were talking about it off air for a bit. So the headlines around Oklahoma and Texas leaving to the SEC swept up the sports world for a couple weeks. I believe they're now going to do it around, I don't know, 2023, 2025. In light of that, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC are forming an alliance, which is funny and gives me big like Star Wars rebellion versus the Empire vibes <laughs> against the SEC and the Big 12. Adam Rittenberg from, from ESPN was tweeting uh, specifics about it, and that it's coming out at 2 today. There isn't going to be a lot of scheduling stuff yet, and this obviously affect Wisconsin football down the road because we'll see more games between schools from those conferences. But Adam Rittenberg says the main thing to expect today is a public acknowledgement of common values between the leagues and alignment around many topics affecting athletes and schools. Pretty much, screw the Big 12, screw the SEC. We're about more than just making money from ESPN paying us for the playoff. Well, I mean, if you look at it around around college football landscape, the Big 12 is being eaten by the SEC. I mean, look at all the teams that have joined the SEC in the past with what Missouri and Texas A&M. Now you have Texas and Oklahoma wanting yeah. to join in the future here. Once their uh, big 12 contracts run out. I mean, it makes sense from the big 10, how you would, because the big 10 is one of the more powerful conferences. It's the big 10 in, in the sec. Yeah. And I think broader than sports, it's the big 10 over the sec. And I've been over that before. Uh, when you look at the footprint, yeah, the SEC's footprint pretty much stops where its schools are. The Big Ten, the Pac-12, um, I don't know to the extent ACC, but those are global brands. Um, I mean, you could say the SEC is, but alumni-wise, people, I mean, here's a good example. You go to the UW. Went. Went to the UW, and you're from the East Coast. Exactly. Most people from SEC schools come from that footprint. Yep. Um, people go then go back home or even end up at somewhere not at home. You know, they, they go to a different coast. They stay in Madison. They go abroad to Europe, Asia, all over the world. The Big Ten has that kind of footprint where if they wanted to, I'm pretty sure the Big Ten Network could be like, hey, BBC, we're thinking about putting a Big Ten Network in. On on in the British broadcasting channel or whatever it is, and they'd probably be like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> well, that all not to mention that they don't employ Paul Feinbaum, so that helps. <laughs> that is true. They don't employ a lot of people that uh, are like Paul Ugh. Feinbaum either. <laughs> I think I think it's smart though for the Big Ten because the Big Ten is one of the more profitable conferences. It it, it is one of the ones because, like you said, yeah. they started the Big Ten Network first. Well, yeah. also football and everything else. This is the whole SEC thing is so focused on football and the freaking playoff. Mm -hmm. This is about so much more. As they said, it's about academics, every athletic endeavor, pretty much everything. So that's yeah. that's why I think this is great. Well, I think it's also smart from the Big Ten's perspective because when you look at the ACC, the Big Ten acquired Rutgers and Maryland for one sole reason, <laughs> and that was to get into that East Coast uh, media market. Yep, and it was successful. Also, yeah, the some of the teams already had some footholds in the East Coast for recruiting, but that only strengthened it. And then when you look at the ACC, that just further cements your East Coast. Yep. And even dips into the Southeast, where obviously the SEC is. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side, you have the Pac-12 is just kind of the 
the Pac-12 is just kind of the conference that's there. They're like the yeah. one that really nobody wanted. <laughs> and the Big Ten and ACC are like, yeah, you might as well come over to our side. We'll have a little bit more clout with you. Right. And I think it definitely is more beneficial for the Pac-12. Um, maybe it'll... Cause I mean, what the last couple of years they started playing those like morning games. Yeah. Oh to, like, my God. The 9 a.m. kickoffs on the West Coast just to get on people's TV. Exactly. So, I mean, they have to start doing crazy things. And the Alliance doesn't seem so crazy, but like they have to start doing gimmicky things to get on people's TVs. And if it's a 9 a.m. kickoff, you do it. If it's a noon kickoff you do i also think that's kind of the state of pac-12 football because there is no let's be honest there is no ohio state there is no alabama there is no clemson in the pac-12 washington has been pretty good don't sleep on utah this year though yeah that that is true i mean washington has been pretty good usc was good like 15 plus years ago yeah i mean pete carroll has went to multiple Super Bowls and won one with the Seahawks now. He was the guy that was obviously... Well, he had to leave. (laughs) He he had some recruiting (laughs) violations. Reggie Bush never won a Heisman, I guess. Give it back to him. But uh, (laughs) there is no one huge power anymore in that conference. As much as they want to rank USC in the top 15, as much as they want to say that um, Washington has been a really good program over the last 10 years... Yes, Oregon has been pretty good, but in my mind, they're still more of a team I look at as their gimmicky unis than as a powerhouse in football. Yeah. Like I disagree with that, but I think Mario Cristobal's done really well. I think they've been really competitive and they've been a good team, but they're not an Ohio State. They're not a Clemson. They're not an Alabama. They're not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, football-wise, yes, they they are good. They I mean, heck, they beat Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh uh and I mean, if that's whatever measuring stick you want to put there, that's that's fine. You can say, well, that's not Ohio State either. I mean, oh, fine, it's Wisconsin though. That's the team we're covering. <laughs> um, and yes, their football identity has gone up. They played uh, Auburn for the national championship, right? Yeah, that was yeah. a national championship game. <laughs> so long ago now, because Cam Newton was still in school at that point in time. Uh, so I, I think they're a lot more than that. But you're right. Casual football fans still only look at them as that school that has Nike supplying them uniforms just for the the sake of being brazen and out there and doing a better job of it than Under Armour at Maryland. (laughs) And Chad, who just called in earlier, makes a good point here. He says Notre Dame has the biggest with that NBC deal. Well, I think that Mm -hmm. also goes a long way with the Big Ten because who does Notre Dame pair up with? It's the ACC when they play football. Yep. Well, that's or, what I was going to say. That's really interesting because Notre Dame, in theory, for its scheduling and its well-being going forward, could take either side here. They could say, we want to try to go into the big money college football playoff kind of vibe of the South, or we could kind of join allegiances in, in this setting with the other with the other three conferences, which I, I think they'll do. Yeah. Because I, it makes so much sense for them. They've already joined the ACC for last year. They're they're already it's already regional and it's still big money markets you're talking about. Yeah. And it, it makes sense for Notre Dame because the only team in the ACC right now is Clemson, yep. even though they have the East Coast and Notre Dame no, sees that just look at last year. We can go over there and compete pretty much against any school outside of Clemson, and then they're still in well, the Big they, Ten footprint. Did they beat Clemson in the first? Game? Yes. And then lost in the 
second. Yes. Correct. Yeah. They uh, so long. They're still in the Big Ten <laughs> footprint as well, being in South Heck, Bend, Indiana. They're in the Big Ten yeah. hockey. <laughs> they still they still play a ton of Big Ten teams on their independent yeah. schedule. Yeah. They play what Michigan, Purdue, Michigan State, Northwestern. Mm-hmm. They're playing Wisconsin now. Heck, they have annual games with Stanford, USC, and then they play five ACC games a year. I mean. You rotate some Big Ten Pac-12 games in there, and you have your schedule of all Power 5 teams. And if you want to throw your service academies in there and rotate those, because I know you know they have the history with Army, Navy, and and sometimes Air Force. Uh, as know. long as it's profitable, I think they still stay independent so that they have right. uh, schedule flexibility. But I think you start to see them... Uh, lean more with the ACC and the Big Ten for potential financial situations, but yeah, I think I think it makes sense for them to play in the footprint of the yeah. Big Ten and the ACC because we know that Notre Dame, for what it's been since 1990, yeah. they can't compete well, with the Alabama. And that's consistently. one of the things they were one of the big pushers for the 12 team playoff because they know they'd be able to get in every year. Yeah, exactly. Just because they get ranked in the top ten every year, right. and they could be trash. This mm-hmm. still this still gives me the biggest Star Wars Empire versus Rebellion vibe. Oh, absolutely. It's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and and I would say we are on the the good side. So you know, you're younger than him, but he doesn't get the reference because he's never seen Star Wars. Any of them. I do not understand that. <laughs> I actually have watched some oh. Star Wars. Oh, I watched about twenty minutes where <laughs> what uh, was oh. it? Darth Darth Vader's in a volcano. Oh, so, yeah, it's and all right. I mean, and the other one was was it? Is, um, which one is that? The prequels? That's the prequels. Yeah. How yeah. do you not watch Star also, Wars? Also, uh, was it Luke Skywalker when he was a kid doing like a little? Uh, yeah, he watched go kart type things. <laughs> he watched. The, I watched about ten tw- minutes of that until <laughs> ten, I told ten my ten minutes of the prequels. Thirty minutes total of the prequels. That is a joke. <laughs> That's exactly what the series is. <laughs> Green Bay Packers by what is it? Three, three this afternoon. Three p.m. today. They have to get down another five players from where they were before the last cut. Now, they already got a little bit of a head start. They cut uh, Daniel Crawford, not a guy that I don't think any Packer fans either know his name or were too concerned about him making the, the squad. Also, we have to talk about the really the surprising one because we were, Ben, you and I were just talking about the Green Bay Packers. We were talking about... Uh, what we saw in the preseason game and kind of how the roster was lining up. And we briefly talked about Kamal Martin fifth round pick last year out of Minnesota inside linebacker, a guy that like we were saying, didn't really show that he could run sideline to sideline was struggling in coverage, but uh, was a guy that hit hard and kind of filled the holes almost like a poor, poor man's uh, Blake Martinez and a guy that entered injured and uh, wasn't able to stay on the field too much last year. And we were talking about how they were trying him in preseason at the outside linebacker, and he he flashed a little bit against the Jets. wasn't anything too special, but he showed a little bit released yesterday. Yeah, so that I mean that should have been the indication from the start is that he's an outside linebacker. The Packers try, I mean, an inside. Excuse me. The Packers tried him at outside linebacker early in camp, and then they tried to bring him back to inside linebacker, but he's already so deep in the depth chart. That should have been the indication to say that he's just he wasn't in the plans for the depth chart. I think also it kind of shows that the Packers really like what they have at outside linebacker because you obviously have Zadarius Smith, you have Preston Smith who reworked his deal, you have Rashawn Gary who's still on his rookie contract, and they were wondering who would be the fourth. Obviously you had these nonsense Clay Matthews rumors. 
where if they brought Clay Matthews Maybe back, this is a move to bring him my back. goodness. But you were trying a guy like <laughs> Kamal Martin, who has some talent. Uh, obviously, last year he showed that he could play a little bit of uh, inside linebacker. He's not going to be a Luke Keekley by any means, but he showed that he could be serviceable. But I think that the other thing is Chris Chris Barnes shown that as an undrafted free agent, he outplayed Kamal Martin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. And and, and also, you mentioned the injury. I mean, it, it all came down to me uh, to coverage, which you also mentioned. Uh, we saw it the last preseason game. He, he just struggles in that department. And and especially like like we know what the Packer defense is when their inside linebackers aren't impact players and 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 when they struggle to produce. So it, it does tell you a lot of good things about Chris Barnes and about even Devon J. Campbell, excuse me, Devondre Campbell, who they brought in, Ty Summers, even Oren Burks, who I thought looked really good against Houston. Well, that's that's the thing. The kiss of death might have been bringing in Devondre Campbell because. All we heard once they brought him in is how he looked really good in training camp. We didn't really hear a ton about Martin. We know that Chris Barnes outplayed Martin. And we know that Ty Summers, being a guy that was drafted extremely late by Goody, he's been a guy that's been really serviceable, not only as a a third string inside linebacker, but also on that special teams. And there's something to be said about guys that go out there and play really well on special teams because they find ways to make rosters. I mean, if we're talking about players like that, look no further than a former UW Badger. Chris Maragos made a career Legend. of being a special teamer. Yeah. Legend. Won a ring, didn't Won, he? Uh, no. Uh, was te- he not on that te- team? He he was on the team. He was out for the year. So, yes, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I believe yeah. he did yeah, win a that's ring. That's right. One of my favorite players of all time. But he's a guy that, like Ty Summers, Great guy. hasn't been asked to do much besides fill in, but made a long career out of being a, a special teamer and a pretty damn good one. Yeah. Yes. So what else does this tell you? It also tells you guys like Shamar, John Charles, and other guys that are deep in the depth chart have shown better flashes on special teams than Kamal Martin. That it wasn't even worth keeping him around. Oh, I think how I, good of a coach I, PJ Fleck is. Now, granted, I'm not watching every single play 100% focused on every single player, but I can't really think of a special teams where I remember Kamal Martin being out there and making a play, to be honest. Um, yeah. I cannot. Yeah. I can't. It, nothing stands out. Now, I remember Ty Summers making a lot of plays and coming in. Even, to be completely honest, Ty Summers runs better sideline to sideline than Kamal Martin. And I'm not tooting Ty Summers. I'm just saying I wasn't a huge fan of the Kamal Martin pick just in general because when you thought about, well, Kamal Martin was a guy that was coming off of a knee injury, had a knee injury coming in. Mm -hmm. He was a guy that didn't run a good 40 time, didn't have the greatest agility numbers. And this is always kind of how I think about it. When I'm a Wisconsin Badgers fan, I never thought, Damn, Kamal Martin, we're playing the Gophers next week. He is going to give them problems. It's usually because he never you know played. Who, he was injured. <laughs> you know who I did feel that way about is Antoine Winfield, and he has become one yeah. of the best secondary pieces for the Bucs and, and arguably yeah. in the NFC. Absolutely. He's a stud. Comes by it, honestly. And that's Dad's pretty good, too. That yes. was kind <laughs> of the same reason why now I had a lot of uh, – angst against Rashawn Gary. I didn't like the pick. I thought there was a lot of better ways they could have went. Now, we're going into year four here. It looks like he's really turning a corner. Yep. Rashawn Gary looks like he could really be a player. Just in time to start thinking about next contract. One of the reasons why I I wasn't a huge fan of the pick because they had a lot of other things they could have done and it was their highest pick in years was the fact that Rashawn Gary, he had a... um, 
draft profile of being a guy that didn't give effort all the time. Now, I think we can say as Packer fans, he seems to be giving a lot of effort in the pros. But one of those other big uh, eye tests was he didn't really scare you as a as a Badger fan. There was a lot of other guys on that team like the Devin Bushes of the world or the Ooh. Chase Winoviches of the world that gave the Badgers more problems. Yeah. And those were guys that didn't take plays off. Mm-hmm. That's that was kind of why Kamal Martin. I wasn't a huge fan of the pick, just in general. Yeah, I and it is a fifth round pick, so it's not like they wasted a high round draft on him. But yes, I'm I'm with you. I'm not as surprised at, at the move as many others, just because of the indications we've seen. Let's switch to cornerback because because of that trade that you mentioned. So first, Josh Jackson was traded. Now, Kadar Holman is traded. So the back end of the cornerback rotation is starting to shake up because you know you have Kevin King, Eric Stokes, and uh, Jair Alexander at the top. Now, Kabianento, Shamar John Charles, they, they seem to be those other two. Well, I think you have to, I think you actually have to look at Brian Gutekunst and give him a, a, a huge thumbs up on this one. It just shows how deep those corners and that secondary are. I mean, we're talking about Jair Alexander, who's arguably a top three corner in the league. Mm -hmm. I I don't think after what he did last year, if you rate him lower than third, I I don't think you watched. Then you're, you're talking about Kevin King, who is serviceable. Now, granted, he's been out with a hammy. You have Eric Stokes, who's their first round pick, who a lot of people say are is playing pretty well in uh, the preseason and at training camp. And then you look at some of those other names that rounded out and you're like, well, it makes sense they're releasing Josh Jackson, a guy that really hasn't done a whole lot since his rookie year. Yeah. It, it it's makes sense that they're going to trade a former draft pick to get anything they can get back because you drafted a guy like Gene Charles who made a couple plays in preseason. Now, granted, it was later against lower level, but you're seeing that a lot of these guys are like Ento. He's made a few plays in training camp and in the preseason. There's a lot of guys in that room that can play, and a lot. Some fans might be upset that because that might be their guy they have preference with, but it's showing you that they have seven, eight, nine guys that could probably play in the NFL at a third string level instead of guys who couldn't cut it in the AAC or uh, AAF, AAF or, or the, the XFL, XFL, which is exactly what the the Green Bay Packers roster was from 2014 to 2018. Yeah. I'll never forget when they were transitioning from Ted Thompson to Brian Gutekunst and Rob Reichel came on these airwaves and flat out said, this roster is trash. It's It's in shambles. And Brian Gutekunst has such a high mountain to climb to just turn over this roster and to get players that can play again at this level. And now we're finally talking about it. I mean, what, last year was... Almost a top 10 defense, if not a top 10 defense. It took them three to four years to finally do it, but we're here. And yet, I'm going to take a little dig at Rodgers, is still saying that he has issues with what the GM has done. Yeah. I mean, the only thing he hasn't done, I guess, is get him top of the line receivers, if you want to call them that. But I think his receivers are doing well. The receiver group is like nine deep right now with guys that all could play at the NFL level or practice squad level. His offensive line's keeping him upright. Now he doesn't, he doesn't have the star tandem one and two, right? But he has a bunch of quality threes and fours and fives and six. And And he's got big Bob. We've always said Aaron Rodgers makes the wide receiver. It's no longer the AAF XFL wide receivers. (laughs) It's actual NFL talent. Yep.
You know, we haven't really talked a ton about the Milwaukee Bucks in the last month. Yeah, they won a championship. Yeah, they've been retooling like half of that roster. But we haven't really talked about it that much. So I wanted to bring in a big NBA guy. Wanted to bring in our guy, Grant Bills from the Wisco Sports Show, WKTY up in the cross. Grant, how are we doing this morning? I am doing excellent. And to be honest with you guys, Evo is my least favorite part of these conversations every week. So this is... This is excellent. I'm glad he goes on vacation. I'd rather rather talk to you guys. <laughs> Grant, I'll be completely honest with you. We will not be talking about your love life or anything that's going on in, in downtown. <laughs> we will strictly be sticking to the Milwaukee Bucks NBA and maybe some uh, Milwaukee Brewers news. This is why I love you guys. This is Ebo always wants to get in the mud. He always thinks he has dirt on me. He never does, but I let him, you know, you got to let him have his fun. <laughs> And it's especially hilarious because he'll be like, oh, what's that one place located like right here across from this one building? I'm like, oh, so-and-so or, oh, this place. He's like, yeah, that's that one. I'm going to talk to him about that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, well, last I think last week he brought up a bar that closed down a while ago. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, uh, Evo, I don't think that's open anymore. He's like, oh, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty darn like. Hey, there are some yeah, of those evil, bars yeah. up in lacrosse that uh, don't make it very long, and then there's others like John's that have been around for like 40 years. Oh, John's. Oh, yes. There's the institutions, yeah. And then they're the ones that rotate through a little bit more. I agree. There have been places like the Popcorn. I swear it's been closed for two and a half years. They're renovating. But <laughs> I don't, like, it's seriously been like two and a half, three years since they've been open. It's kind of interesting how the pandemic has done that. I'm sure you guys have places like that in Madison, where you're like, oh, we're, we're reopening, and they just haven't gotten around to it yet. It kind of cracks me up. Well, how about this uh, pivot? From renovating in downtown Lacrosse to renovating the roster in in Milwaukee for the Milwaukee Bucks. So they've had a ton of moves in the offseason, you know, to mention like Grayson Allen bringing back Thanasis. I mean, George Hill rejoining the team, Rodney Hood signing. So what is your take so far on what the Milwaukee Bucks have done this offseason. Obviously, it's a team that's trying to uh, build again to win back-to-back NBA Finals. Well, I think the biggest signing is Bobby Portis, because um, I, I think we all assumed he was gone. We thought Bobby was going to go chase a check and get a big contract elsewhere, and he probably still could if he plays for the Bucks for one more year and opts out. It's going to be a two-year deal with the player option. So I, I think that signing is probably the biggest because it gives them continuity, they're not going to have to adjust and, and figure out as much as they would if they lost Bobby. And he showed that he can play in the playoffs. And you guys know that like the regular season and the playoffs are two different things. So if a player is good in the regular season putting up points, that doesn't necessarily mean they can play in the postseason and, and play valuable minutes. Bobby Portis showed that he could. So that's really huge. Other than that, I, I hate to say this, you guys, but I think they're back. I think the best addition they made is probably Grayson Allen. Oh, like, I was I was going to ask you that off the jump. Like, take me into the world of Grant when that happens. Oh. What is your initial thought about noted tripper and Wisconsin Badger killer Grayson Allen coming to Milwaukee? Well, I mean, it's it sucks. Like, I'm not I'm not happy about it. Um, I think we will learn to. I don't know. I I think we'll <laughs> learn to like him. Is that possible? Like you guys are probably even bigger Badger fans than me, but I remember like one of my most traumatic Badgers memories. And there's been a few, mostly with the football team the last few years. But like I just think of him in that national championship game. He like the, the Badgers should have won that game. And of course, this weirdo Grayson Allen, who I'd never heard of, goes off off the bench for like what was it, sixteen, seventeen points? Okay, guys, and guys, he just sucks. This is me watching the game. That national championship game, 
I know a lot of people hate Grayson Allen. They hate his tripping. They hate his little, you know, between the whistle stuff. I get it. Whatever. The thing with the national championship game for me is when I think back to that, he doesn't even pop into my top two of things that piss me off about that game. As weird as it sounds, he comes in number three behind one, the referees down the stretch in that second half. Two, Mm -hmm. Justice Winslow totally touched the ball. Three, then you have Grayson Allen. Yeah. Well, and I, it sucks because he's exactly what the Bucks needed, right? Like they had Sam Merrill and they had Jordan Ward, these second round picks, and Sam Merrill wasn't ready to play, so they flip him for they flip him for Grayson Allen. And essentially now what they can do is they can play Grayson for a year, play Dante for a year, and decide which one they like better and keep which one they like better. Grayson Allen's a little bit better three point shooter than um Dante is. His career is just under just over, excuse me, thirty eight percent. So he's a little bit better than Dante. Maybe Dante's a better playmaker. He's a little bit better finisher and a little bit better better handler, which they might prefer because the Bucks really don't have a ton at point guard. It's nice that they brought George Hill back. But I think Grayson Allen is the exact type of player they need. It's just going to suck that I have to buy in and like and cheer for Grayson Allen. But I, I think we'll get over it quickly. I, I think so. Maybe not. But I, I, I haven't, so. and I don't know if I will be able to. But how do you see that rotation forming out i assume dante will come back and, and retake his starting role do you see grayson in that first role off the bench or does he challenge dante to get into that starting lineup well it probably depends on how healthy dante is too if he's 100 percent, i think the starting job is his right away and if grayson wants to play his way into that he'll probably have to outplay him and outperform him but like if dante's hurt for the first couple of weeks of the season and Grayson Allen comes in and plays fantastic, and it's just what they need. Maybe Dante doesn't pop right back into the po- right back into the starting role, you know. So I, I don't know. Maybe Grayson just kind of gets lucky and he slides in at the beginning of the season, and, and Dante never gets it back. I don't know. That's looking pretty far ahead, but it couldn't work out that way. So we've talked a lot about the positives. By the way, we have uh, Grant Bills joining us from the Wisco Sports Show up in WKTY in Lacrosse. We talked about a lot of the positives. We talked about how they're going to have an option between DiVincenzo and Grayson Allen. Now, what do you mm-hmm. think was the most meh move or, I guess, the worst move, for lack of a better term, Ooh. that the Bucks have made this offseason? Well, Aside I from bringing their... in the most hated man in the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, I think they have their starting five, and then George Hill's their backup point guard. Bobby Portis is a backup forward. Pat comes off the bench and then either Grayson Allen or Dante. So when you're getting past that bunch, you're talking about their eighth or ninth guy who probably won't play come postseason time. Anyway, so that might be a depth piece, but I think Rodney Hood is an interesting choice there. I don't think we can call him a bad signing because I don't think they really need or expect much from him, but there's some upside there, right? He could be a great shooter, and he's been a great offensive player in the past. The problem is he's coming off an Achilles injury. So to me, I would rather take a chance on a guy like Rodney Hood who – might bounce back from an injury and might be a pretty good offensive player. I'd rather take a chance on him than someone boring and kind of blah, like DJ Augustine. So I'd say Rodney Hood is maybe their, probably their, I don't know, not their worst signing. I think that's the signing most likely to not pan out. But in the event that it does, I think it's pretty slick and they signed him for nothing. So I, I think it's pretty good still. So overall, it sounds like you're you're kind of liking what the Bucks have done this offseason, especially with the money that they had available not being a ton and the roster flexibility not a ton there either. It sounds like you like what the Bucks have done. Yeah, well, they maintained continuity. They kept Bobby Portis, which no one expected. They got a backup point guard. They had to use their mid-level exception to pay for George Hill, which I didn't think they would need to. I thought they could get him on a veteran minimum, but 
what are you going to do? I'm perfectly okay that they let P.J. Tucker go because he's 36 years old. He can't dribble. He can't shoot. He can't score. He can't pass. Like, I just don't really think there's room like that on an NBA roster anymore. I think they got away with playing him against the Nets because they only had to worry about Durant. And then they played him a little bit against the Hawks because the Hawks just weren't as good as the Bucks. And then the Suns don't have the offensive firepower that a team like the Lakers is going to have or if they see another team out of the West. And the Nets will be healthier next year. The Sixers will be better, I imagine. So I think it was smart to move on from P.J. Tucker. I know a lot of people were upset because they had P.J. Tucker's bird right, so they could have paid him. They just chose not to, like just to save the money, and I'm actually okay with that. I was ready to move on for P.J. Tucker. And if Miami wants to give him, I think it was two years, $15 million, go to town. I think that's really stupid. So have a good time, Miami. Like, have fun. <laughs> well, if I mean, if you think about it, it- – P.J. Tucker played a critical role of getting in a fight with Kevin Durant's bodyguard. I think Grayson Allen can fill that role admirably. (laughs) That's that's something I didn't think about. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think Grayson Allen can handle that. I think you're right. Real quick, Grant. Grant Bills from the Wisco Sports Show joining us. I want to ask you, I, I know it's not a huge importance for Bucks and their roster, but they did have the NBA draft not too long ago. You look back and... They got a couple guys, both European. Obviously, one guy played at Seton Hall, another guy overseas. I know in the NBA that draft picks, if you're not in like the top five, it doesn't mean a whole lot, and there's a lot of um, guys that don't pan out. But what are you what are you thinking about their draft picks? Do you think you will see what is it, Mama Kilishvili? Do you Mama. think he'll you think he'll be playing at all this year for the Bucks? Because he seemed like he looked decent in summer league. Yeah, I think, I mean, as as individual players go, right, like I can't tell you much about either one of those guys. I don't do a whole lot of NBA draft stuff. I'll look at the top five or six, and then after that, you know, I'll kind of learn about players as I need to as they kind of make their way in the league. I do, however, really like how the Bucs handled the draft as a process, right? Moving down, you know, five or six picks, moving down a little bit from from the beginning of the first round to the beginning of the second round, right, just finding value here and there because they're a team that moving forward isn't going to have a lot of money to spend and they're not going to have a lot of premium picks. So the picks that they do have, they need to make the most of. And I like what they did with last year's draft pick with Sam Merrill. They essentially moved on from him and they're like, we don't have time to wait for this guy. We don't need this guy. We're going to ship him with cash and we're going to get Grayson Allen in return. Like that's a good use of an asset. And I think this year, I believe they had a trade with Indiana where they moved down a little bit and they're basically selling second round picks too. So they're not just using draft picks to bring in new prospects and players, which they don't really need a whole lot of, especially from the second round. They need value. So if that's a score like Jordan War that they can develop, or it's a trade piece for Grayson Allen, or they're just selling them straight up for cash, um, I think the Bucks have handled their picks as a process really well. I think that's what I can say about the draft. Their prospects from Europe like, all right, let's see how they turn out. Like, I'm excited to watch, but I, I don't know if I can say a whole lot about them as players at this point. My buddy Asher Lowe was at Summer League covering the games, and he was pretty impressed with what he saw from Mamu as a developmental guy. Real quick before we let you go, it's it's a very simple question, and in, in my opinion, a simple answer. Is Christian Yelich back? Ooh, well... It's funny. I was at the game on Saturday and he could have had three home runs. He took another one to the wall. Like that very easily could have been a three run home, uh, three home run day. It's not just the power too. like his, the hits have been up over the last week. If you look at his stats over the last seven or 10 days, I don't know if he's back, but he certainly seems to be swinging with a little bit more confidence and he's barreling up the ball. 
I don't know if that's going to transfer into a home run every other night for the next couple of weeks, but if he could just be a little bit of a power threat, I think that's all the Brewers need. Um, I don't know if he's all the way back, but I think this is as back as he's been for at any point this season. Does that make sense? Is that a cop-out answer? I don't know no. if he's all the way back, but this is as back as he's been. Yeah, I was just, I mean, he, his OPS is above 2,000 since Giannis bought the Brewers, so. Yep, yep. Yep, and Giannis buying the Brewers, me going to a game on Saturday, I think these are all things you have to uh, absolutely 100%. He has take two, it, two home runs account. per game uh, when Grant goes to the game. Noted. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've been to two Brewer games this year, and I've seen three Christian Yelich home runs. I wow. saw one earlier this year and then two the other day, which the stats, like, <laughs> what, three the out of seven. average. Well, Grant, That's it looks nuts. like uh, WKTY and WOZN, it looks like we'll be funding your run all the way through the Milwaukee Brewers playoffs as we need you to be there so Christian Yelich can hit home runs. But we thank you for joining us and talking <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks, especially when not many people are right now. Yeah, thanks guys for having me. Have a good one. And there he is, Grant Bills, Wisco Sports Show, up in lacrosse at WKTY. Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code THEZONE125. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. Haven't really talked much about the Milwaukee Brewers, but they do have a pivotal series against the Cincinnati Reds starting today, running Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at home at American Family Field. It's the last three games against the Cincinnati Reds of the season, and the Reds are actually the only the only team in the NL Central that the Brewers do not have a winning record against. As crazy as that sounds, the Reds are the only team the Milwaukee Brewers do not have a winning record against in that NL Central. And here's one that's even a little bit crazier, Ben. Yep. So there are three teams in Major League Baseball that have played the Milwaukee Brewers that have at least four wins against them. I know one of them. The Cincinnati Reds. Yes. And can you guess the other two? The Philadelphia Phillies. No. Then they saw, oh, it was a three-game series, not a four-game series. And the, and then their last series is in September. I see. So right now, there's only three. You huh. have the Reds. Yeah. The other two? The Pittsburgh Pirates. No. I, I'm just naming the bad team because I figured that they'd be. The Arizona Diamondbacks. It's the St. Louis Cardinals and the Kansas City Royals. Huh. I, I do remember them struggling against them for a couple series. They went 0-4 against the wow. Royals this year. They wow. did not win a game in two two-game sets. Well, the, the Royals started pretty hot, if I'm not mistaken. They did, and that was when the Brewers were also in a, a tailspin downward in May. They kind of caught, caught the uh, Royals at a bad time, I guess you would say. Yeah. But then there was also, they had a really bad two-game stretch right after the All-Star break with the Royals. But that's besides the point. Obviously, we're talking about the Reds. We're talking about the Brewers. This is a pivotal series because if the Milwaukee Brewers sweep the Reds, they got a ten and a half game lead it's on, on the Cincinnati Reds. And we're about five to six weeks left in the season. I don't see how the Reds could really come back not playing any head-to-head games. Yeah, n- neither do I. And ten and a half is pretty much insurmountable when you enter September. Border like borderline six is is a lot to overcome. Ten and a half is garbage. And then on the flip side, though, if the Brewers get swept. 
that they're there. The Cincinnati Reds are only out four games. And this is a team that right now they're kind of streaking. They've overtaken this, the San Diego Padres for that last wild card spot. They're a game up on uh, San Diego. It's no longer uh, NL West completely controlling that NL wild card picture. The Reds have made some moves. They acquired three bullpen arms at the uh, trade deadline to boost that bullpen. Now, granted, it hasn't become night and day better because it is a pretty bad bullpen, but they went from the worst bullpen in the league to like the fourth or fifth worst bullpen in the league in that short amount of time. So obviously it's helped. Uh, Amir Garrett has thrown the ball better since July. He was a big time player for them out of the bullpen as a left-hander throws uh, well, some gas and also isn't a throw afraid to throw some hands when it comes to it. Ah, and they also have Michael Lorenzen, who came off the IL, who's not only a good uh, late-inning pitcher, but he's also a guy that can hit the ball for a pitcher. I don't think he's given up a run since he's gotten back. I know he came back and was really good, went on the IL for a stint, and I believe he's back again. But those are, if you can say Michael Lorenzen's officially healthy, Amir Garrett is throwing the ball better, and you acquired three arms that were better than what you had in that bullpen... That just made that bullpen that much better. We're talking about the worst bullpen in major leagues. Adding pretty much any arms was going to make it better, but they actually added quality arms, and we know this is a Cincinnati Reds team that can just mash the baseball. Joey Votto has come out of nowhere in the second half of the season, and I think him and Freddie Freeman are the dark horses to win an MVP award. Yeah. Yeah. Joey Votto went on that crazy stretch where he pretty much averaged a homer every single game. He's going crazy. Winker just recently went on the IL, which is big news for the Brewers. They'll avoid him. If I'm not mistaken, this entire oh, series, and he's a Brewers killer, specifically an Adrian Hauser killer. Yes. Oh, he, he's an everyone killer. He's hitting 307 OPS up around a thousand 24 bombs. He's been great. Castellanos has has been steady. He's still hitting up 320, OPS 945, 22 bombs. Yeah, it's it's still a lineup that'll hit. Jonathan India really struggled. Jonathan India has been a stud this year. Well, he struggled for a little bit, and then he's uh, gotten out of it recently. So, yeah, they are dangerous, but then you obviously look at the pitching matchups entering the series, and they heavily favor the Brewers. Well, if you really, if you really, really dig into them, you have Corbin Burns, who's slightly worse at home than he is on the road, but that's just because the difference of American family field being a hitters friendly ballpark. He also has a two one. So, and yes, we're splitting hairs when we're like, Oh, it's two on the road versus two, three at home. He obviously has been really good. He's number two right now in the Cy Young award, uh, watch list. But on the other end, you have uh male there who he, he actually pitches really well outside of uh, um, Cincinnati and Great American Ballpark. He he has an ERA under two on the road. He just has that ballooned ERA at home. Now, the Brewers have touched him up, and they have touched him up at American Family Field. So, yes, you would have to favor Corbin Burns and the Milwaukee Brewers in tonight's game, and that's exactly what the Vegas line says. But you look at Wednesday's game, you have both aces going for the opposing teams. You have Brandon Woodruff on the mound, who some people are are have thought have has gotten a little touched up in his last couple starts. I'm gonna pump the brakes on that. His ERA is still below two five. <laughs> and then you have Luis Castillo, who he's a guy that has some insane stuff. 
but just never lives up to it. Like, am I wrong on that? You're you're not wrong. He has struggled to live up to the stuff that he has, but he has been throwing the ball better. When he when he faced the Phillies last week, three earned runs in six point two, and then against Miami, who isn't the best lineup, but only one earned in seven innings. So and aside from a big blow up against Cleveland on August 9th, his last two months have been a lot better than what we saw earlier. Like back in May, he was getting absolutely well, rocked. The big thing with Castillo is the fact he's got to be throwing strikes. If if he's and now that's granted that's with every pitcher, but he seems to have control issues when he has them. He really has them. Yeah. So you look at his last two starts against the Brewers, July 11th, five and a third, one earned run, but he did walk six. But I, he he got out of the jams, and then July 17th he faced the Brewers again, zero earned through six. So he has thrown the ball better against the Brewers as of late. And I know that. Uh, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff just off the top of my head have spun the ball spun the ball really well against the Reds too so you're going to have to think game two they're also going to be a favorite to win that one but I think if you look at Thursday this is the interesting matchup you have Sonny Gray who obviously a pretty solid pitcher then you look at who the Brewers are throwing out there it's Brett Anderson well, Brandon Anderson isn't necessarily the name of the Brandon Woodruffs, the Freddie Peraltas or the Corbin Burns of the world but he's still a guy that's thrown the ball decently well, especially as of late when he's not, you know, leaving the game with calf cramps or sore groins or sore hamstrings. But one of the things that you have to note is we talked about how the Reds mash the baseball. Well, the Reds are the best team when it comes to hitting an OPS against right-handers. They're middle to bottom of the pack, bottom half, coming uh, uh, and hitting against OPS and left-handers. So I think that's a little bit of a, if Brett Anderson can throw the ball well, they do not hit left-handed pitching that well. And the Brewers have had Sonny Gray's number over the last couple years. Now, will the Reds probably be favored in that game? I wouldn't be surprised if they were. But I think out of this series, you look at these matchups, Brewers should be able to take two out of three. Yes. Even if you take two out of three and you gain another game, that's eight and a half games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you have to win series. And uh, it might have been expected a couple weeks ago that you'd be facing a dead Reds team that wasn't in the wild card and didn't have anything to play for. But now that they're squarely there, like you're you're going to get a, a lively series. This is, this is your quintessential late season important series where every single pitch and every hit matters. Oh, for sure. And then this is also a huge stretch for the Brewers because it's their last long stretch where they have 16 straight games with no off days. And they do play some good teams. It's Cincinnati. It's San Francisco on the road. It's once again, they come back home and it's St. Louis and it's Philly. All teams that are, are still competing and looking for playoff spots. The only team in there that of those 16 games that isn't really uh worth much is the Minnesota Twins and that's still a, a rivalry to some point so uh, I can't wait for this Brewer season like we were talking about it earlier this postseason run is going to be fun yes yes and and, and it could it honestly could start this week sweep the Reds then they, we're on to the playoffs NLCS or Buster for me yeah I yeah I'm, I'm, I'm there as well especially Atlanta's kind of scary but that NLDS should not be as big a problem as it would be in other years we haven't talked a ton of Packers we dipped into it a little bit in that seven o'clock hour but I'm glad we got our guy Packer reporter Mike Clemens on the line so let's go to the phone 608-321-1670 Mike how we doing today 
Uh, okay, with some breaking inside information. I know for a fact that, uh, you know, they get this 80-man cut down. they still got two more guys to go by 3 o'clock today, Central Time. I know for a fact that Ennis Gaines, the uh, undrafted safety, he has made the team. That uh, linebacker Isaiah McDuffie, who was injured at the start of camp, uh, a linebacker, maybe a special teams guy who, if I'm reading the tape correctly, He's the one that made the mistake and gave up the 73-yard kickoff return to the Jets the other day. These guys are still going to make the team. Do you know I know that? Because they have a press conference today after the practice. <laughs> so, I don't think. I could be wrong. You, you know, ask Jake Kummerow about this. It's I don't think they're going to put a guy in front of 30 people, the media, if they plan on saying, hey, you got a minute, and bring your iPad. Right, it's before 3 p.m., so you never know, I guess. Now, McDuffie right, yeah, was well, a, a late or we could, pick. We could, ask, we could ask questions like, um, so how do you feel about getting cut, just in case? <laughs> <laughs> McDuffie was a late-round pick, and he, he might have had some plays that he missed, but he also was a guy that had his hat in there in some plays against the Jets. Now, speaking of, of late-round picks at that linebacker position, I know Kamal Martin was just cut, to some people's surprise. Yeah, I want to tell you, um, Pete Doherty has been covering the team for 30 years. This guy is why this is why he's so good. On uh, Monday morning, he wrote a column about Saturday night's game. And, you know, of all the moving parts in a preseason game and all the guys that are touching the field and all the things to evaluate, um, you know, you write about something that's good, that's, that you'll remember about that game against the Jets, and you write something that's bad or needs to be improved. The good is he wrote about this Royce Newman who continues to get these snaps at right guard ahead of Lucas Patrick. The bad, I'll read what he said. Uh, This guy has been a forgotten man on the Packers' defense's training camp and didn't do anything in his first extended playing time of the preseason against the Jets Saturday night, suggesting he's going to crack the inside linebacker rotation. Going into the offseason, he figured to make a possible run at a starting job after his promising rookie year, but he slid down the depth chart in the offseason and stayed there after missing some time in camp with yet another knee injury, and it goes on and on and on. The guy nailed it. He talked about Kamal Martin, and six hours later, yeah, they, they told Kamal Martin, your time is over. So fifth-round pick who, just like Pete said, I mean, this time last year, this guy was really flashing in camp. And we thought that he might be the guy with the green dot on his helmet, you know, the radio helmet, uh, until he had another injury there in camp. And then you got Chris Burns that emerged. So the other thing is, is this... You, you, they they had him at inside linebacker, and he started falling to the back of the depth chart in the spring. You could see it during minicamp. And then, you know, at the back of the line during drills. And then when Randy Ramsey, Rambo, an outside linebacker, special teams guy, hard-hitting guy, uh, went down with that ankle injury uh, like the second week of camp right in front of us, um, they they moved out Kamal out to the outside linebackers for a while to say, well, maybe – Maybe we should give him some snaps there. Uh, so in, in, these, in these games, in some of these drills, the joint practices last week, you just see him getting lost, turning around left and right, not, unable to figure out where these tight ends or running backs are coming out. So on Sunday we asked Kirk Olivendati, uh, the, uh, uh, the inside linebackers coach, you know, is Joe Barry's new defensive system tough for some of these linebackers to pick up in pass coverage? 
no, our coverage concept, the underneath coverage is the underneath coverage. There's only so many ways to, I don't know, whatever metaphor you want to put there, that part of it hasn't really changed very much. Kamal in general, you know, he played last week and that was his first game. And he'll probably tell you it looked like his first game. Um, you know, he's always going to be flying around. It'll be a, a growing process uh, uh, like everything else. But, you know, that uh, that part of it, the coverage stuff is, is the same as it has been. I won't say easy. I'll say the same as it has been. That's. I, I mean, that's interesting. It kind of sounds like he's saying it's it's not hard. He just hasn't grasped it. Yeah, that's NFL talk for the, the guy sucks right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's about as as scorched as you're going to get. You know, you start kind of reading the tea leaves on this. So, um, so Kamal Martin gone fifth round pick last year is kind of amazing. He dropped to be at last place of all of those linebackers. And uh, then the next thing is that they cut a Daniel Crawford, a tight end. You know, he's in a very, very deep, talented tight end group. And then they trade Kadar Holman, who was drafted a couple of years ago late round. He was a – I remember his story was – this was a kid who had trouble getting into any universities because of his high school GPA. So then he was, work, like, working third shift jobs, like at some donut factory or something, uh, doing anything he could to put himself through – like a junior college and get a GED and so that he could requalify. Toledo gave him a chance and he played there walk on because he had great speed, great instinct, smaller guy, but um, they traded him yesterday to the Houston Texans for a seventh round pick. And then was did Houston also got a receiver out of the Bears, Anthony Miller. And I th- I think that was a sixth round pick. That might have been So in other words, like this whole Randall Cobb goes to Green Bay. The Texans get Kadar Holman and Anthony Miller, and all those draft picks, you know, gets you know turned around at the table. Now everybody's happy; they got what they want. So, you talk to Brian Gutekunst about making some of these roster moves. You got to get down to 80 today, and then you know 53 by Labor Day weekend. And he talks about what's different about this year as a general manager. I think we have a very good squad, and I think this is a tough squad to make. But, you know, I, I do with 16 practice squad spots, which is obviously last year was the first time we had that many. I feel good about, you know, when we get down to it after we get through this week, you know, we'll be at 80. And then uh, we'll get down really at the end of the day, if we're able to keep all our own guys, you'll have 69 players in house. Well, I think, Mike, this just goes to show how good of a job Brian Gutekunst has done over the last few years because it is such a deep deep team you're hearing guys that you just drafted last year that flashed at middle linebacker all of a sudden getting cut and not afraid to do it right not not keeping around well he's a fifth round draft pick we got to give him some more time otherwise it's an embarrassment to the team no do it the patriot way man do it the belichick way you could be a second round pick and you know if if you're there half a year a year and a half or so and it, it, you ain't cutting it, and I got some undrafted kid. I don't care about what the press is going to say. I'm going to cut the draft pick and put the best football player on the field, the guy who comes and you know takes notes in the meetings and, and everything like that. So then you got guys that are sending on the defensive line. This is what's so weird was to see 32 guys again, uh, most of the mostly starters, a few injury guys like this Vern Scott backup safety. He's dealing with an injury, so he didn't play. But, you know, Zadaria Smith and Preston Smith and on and on and on down the line, Kenny Clark, uh, Tyler Lancaster, Dean Lowry, and you're out there starting with guys like number 90, Jack Heflin, on the defensive line. Now, Kingsley Kiki, 
uh, a veteran. He got in there for some snaps against the Jets because he's a little rusty, missed this part of camp. But you got guys like Heflin and this Prevalon that are on the defensive line, and Heflin looked pretty good out there. So uh, they brought him in yesterday for a press conference. Interesting kid. One of these guys that comes from a small school, small-town school, and you know was determined to get into the NFL. So he talked about how he went from Erie, Prophetstown, Illinois, small high school, uh, and eventually got to the Iowa Hawkeyes to get noticed by the NFL. I started off um, at Northern Illinois University. I, out of high school, I had zero offers. Um, so I walked on to Northern Illinois, got a scholarship. In a year there, just through hard work, great staff with Coach Carey. They're at Temple now. And then with the whole COVID thing coming up, got a new staff. Thomas Hammett, they're doing a great job there, coaching their guys up. But with the COVID year, it was going. I heard rumors conference only. Um, graduating, I wanted to play the big. I mean, being from a small school, you have to play the big teams. So I wanted to play in the big schools. And then going right on the Iowa Illinois border, I grew up a diehard Hawkeye fan. Rooted for him every Saturday. So when I got into the portal and Coach Bell contacted me, it was basically it was a done deal. I was just waiting on the offer from Coach Ferentz. And I know exactly where I was when I got the offer from him and asked him right on the spot. I'm like, is this committable? And he said, yep. So I'm like, all right, Coach, I'm a Hawkeye. Let's do it. Just right there. And that's how I ended up at Iowa and had the best year of my life. Mike, I remember watching him at Iowa, but he also still even wasn't one of the guys that you circle on that defensive line. Right, right. No, you know, um, I mean, Kirk Ferentz has always got, you know, great guys that are coming out. Uh, Tyler Lancaster uh, and Dean Lowry are also both from Illinois. And so Heflin told us, you know, obviously he's in the room now with these guys, and so they're all from Illinois, and here they find themselves in Green Bay. And so the weird thing that's going on is uh, usually preseason is, well, like you're seeing in some of these other preseason games, the starting quarterback, the first-team offense, they get like two series. They try and score a touchdown, and then they take it in for the night. Same for the defense. And instead, you know, LaFleur and Goodikoods are putting a kid like this, maybe your fourth-string guy, and giving him, you know, two or three quarters in these first two preseason games. And that's because, you know, they've changed their philosophy. And it's like, look, let's, let's, the guys that are on the bubble, let's give them the most snaps now. And see what they could do. And at the same time, if we think they got a chance of making the team, this might be the most experience that they get. And then they may have to sit on the practice squad. Maybe they're inactive, but at least they've got some football in them, and they they understand what this scheme is supposed to be about. So I asked Heflin, how many snaps did you get Saturday afternoon against the Jets? Yeah, I think I got around thirty, and that's what I've been blessed with the opportunity. Here, especially, it's just telling my parents. It's Coach Montgomery. He he's been trusting me with those reps, and I've been just trying to do the most I can with them, and just show what I can do with my brand of football. And I'm starting to get comfortable. Um, I'm starting to learn the scheme more, and I'm just trying to be a sponge. And I'm constantly talking to the four older guys that have been here, and just just trying to. I'm probably annoying. I keep asking questions and trying to figure out, like, what do you do here when you see this block? How do you react? Like, how do you where, you, where your hands are here and your eyes and all that stuff. So I'm just trying to learn because that's, that's really, so I'm not, I'm not out here, I'm not the fastest guy. I'm not the most athletic, twitchiest guy. So my technique has to be on point. And that's all I'm trying to do is just 
just make the most every opportunity I have. And Mike, I love that. I, I watched that Jets game. Obviously, we watched the Houston Texans game. I think this is a guy in Jack Heflin that if I was the GM, I think he makes my team, and I think I'd have to uh, probably cut ties with one of the veterans like um, uh, a Lancaster. Well, we'll see how how, how it plays out too. Uh, you know how many they decide to keep at that position or so. Uh, you know, and Lancaster is an awfully smart player, but uh, it is a competition. And, and if this young Jack Heflin kid, they just think he's got more strength and throw guys around. The other thing is this T.J. Slayton at nose tackle, man. He looks great so far. I mean, he just looks tremendous. Got his quarterback sack the other day and four combined tackles. So the next question is this. Um, Jordan Love got on the field yesterday and threw some during the drills, did not take any team uh, snaps, and they ran about 45 plays or so for offense. They, they did. It was just helmets and shorts, but they were really – it was like a Friday practice. You know, in the NFL on Wednesdays, guys are kind of beat up, and then maybe they put on some shells. Thursday, they put on their shoulder pads and they hit each other and, and get physical and get ready for Sunday. And then Friday, it's helmets and shorts, and you run as fast as you can, and execution execution is, is the key. And also, you know, platooning and squads and knowing, you know, which team you're supposed to be on. You're, that's your dress rehearsal before you uh, get ready to get on the plane and go to the game. But at the quarterback position, people so frustrated that they took Jordan Love uh, instead of getting more help, uh, quote-unquote, for Aaron Rodgers. I want to talk to you about uh, three years later. We're at the Combine. It was 2018, and it's supposed to be one of these great years for quarterbacks. And so that all at these podiums holding the press conferences, huge gathering uh, at the kid from Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield. And, you know, he's talking his talk and, you know, very confident, slightly cocky. But you knew that Baker Mayfield was not going to be the next Johnny Manziel. You knew that he had a pretty good shot of being a starter, and he's, he's done pretty good for the Cleveland Browns. Okay, then there's another guy that they had up there uh, that uh, was from USC, big school, right? Great program and everything, and it was likely the Jets were going to take him, and that's Sam Darnold. <laughs> he went third overall. And, uh, and other guys that they had in that draft, too, a quarterback, Josh Rosen out of UCLA. A lot of people compared him to Aaron Rodgers. But I'm telling you, I stood at this guy's press conference for 20 minutes, and I thought, this kid has got such a snarky confidence is one thing, but to, you know you haven't even been drafted yet, and say yeah if I don't go you know before the top ten I'm going to make all those teams pay for it and blah blah blah, and then there's this other kid, big tall kid, out of Wyoming who threw the football 75 yards flat footed, like a farv, and all he talked about is I just love football, I love my teammates. He's constantly talking about his teammates back in Wyoming. And I said, that's the guy I want on my team. Not this Josh Rosen or Darnold. You know? I, that's the guy you'd want on your team. That's a kid that's going to learn and grow. And that was Josh Allen. So now <laughs> the Atlanta Falcons, oh, is it A.J. McCarron got hurt, right? The backup quarterback yeah. for the Falcons. So, uh, you know, this Josh Rosen now, he just he was a third-string quarterback in San Francisco, got cut. He screwed up a, a, a 49ers a preseason game uh, in the two-minute drill where they could have gone ahead. And then you could see him blaming his teammates instead of blaming himself for not properly running the offense and, and, and clocking the ball correctly to if, give them a time, a chance to get in. Yeah, if so you can't the, work in Kyle Shanahan's offense, I don't know where you can work. Right. 
Exactly. Just, just, just to hand the ball off to people. And it's because of the, this guy's attitude, man. It's his attitude. Well, the Falcons picked him up. Meanwhile, you've got Kurt Benkert, who you know got released because they got a new regime down Atlanta. And I like this kid, man. I mean, he, you know, he's got a live arm. He's smart as heck. And I think he's got a great attitude because, you know, he was asked uh, after the game Saturday night, you know, do you think you're competing maybe for the number two spot, if not here in Green Bay, you know, somewhere in the NFL? I mean, I know, I know my spot. I know my role. Like, I know I'm the three guy, and I just need to be ready if anything happens. Um, but it's, it's cool to have that dynamic of, like, I'm on the sideline and Aaron's pointing out stuff on the iPad, like, hey, you know, like, this guy messed up. Like, that's not on you. Like, he pretty much always has my back on stuff, which is pretty cool when we're kind of going back at it on the sideline. But um, it's honestly the most fun I've had in a quarterback room with this dynamic. Just everybody, like, knows our role. And at the end of the day, on, was it September 12th, like, our job as the other guys is to help Aaron prepare as best as he can and, and do all the stuff behind the scenes. So I think everybody knowing what your job is and what your role is makes it for, like, really easy and we can have more fun. Mike, so last thing, you touched on it briefly, but there were 32 Packers that did not play in, in the last preseason game, and we really haven't seen most of the starters. So how are they, how are they all going to be set for, for week one if, if none of them are on the field? It's, a, it's obviously a change of philosophy of what training camp is all about, and it actually might start with Aaron Rodgers and some of the things that he's been lobbying for ever since Jordy Nelson went down with a torn ACL in a preseason game against the Steelers several years ago. It's just like, why do you put guys like that out on the field in a meaningless game when we can get ready? Trust me, we can get ready in a controlled situation against our own guys and red jerseys for the quarterbacks and be a heck of a lot safer and have a heck of a lot better chance of being 100% healthy for the month of September than if you put us in these stupid preseason games with a bunch of fourth-string guys that are just going to take crazy shots to try and make an impression. So, um, you know, they, I don't think they're going to go to St. Norbert's anymore. You know, they, they, they had to change that because of COVID. I think that the veterans are going to stay at home. The, the rest of the players are going to be in a team hotel. And, and they're limited how many hours they can have these guys in camp, like 11 hours. The facilities here have everything that you need. You come in, you have team meetings, you got a lounge, you got a cafeteria and all that. You don't need a dorm or a college anymore. You can do the bonding at Lambeau Field, you know, while you're at work, and then send them home at 7 o'clock at night, tell them to get some rest, be in for the team meeting the next morning at 7 o'clock. So LaFleur is talking about how he's got to get his first team offense and defense ready for the Saints week one. You know, a lot of it's going to come down to making sure that we just get the necessary move the ball periods, and we're going to start doing more of those in the weeks leading up. So it's less scripted, more move the ball, more call it, trying to get the tempo in and out of the huddle, the substitutions, you know, just the overall communication and execution of all the little things that go on in between each and every play. And yeah, that's a huge thing for the Packers, especially when you're not getting guys down on on the field or playing consistently, right, Mike? Right. So today, uh, they'll hit the field with a practice and pads. Then they'll rest tomorrow. Then they'll have another practice on Thursday, which will probably be pretty lively before they get on the plane and play. You know, a playoff team, possibly an AFC representative in the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills. Saturday at noon, and that's going to be a physical team, man. You saw the beatdown that they put on the Bears the other day. Wasn't that sweet? Mitch Trubisky <laughs> coming back into Soldier Field. <laughs> yeah, and, and and now Justin Fields is going to start the last preseason game because, quote, Andy Dalton's the one, so I'm sure that'll be handled well in Chicago. 
Yeah, sure it is. Sure uh, it is. Mike, last yeah. question, quick. I are, is there any indication of if we're going to see Jordan Love on Saturday or this weekend? Yeah, um, I don't know, man. I I I would have thought the way the schedule was going is that he was going to throw some yesterday. He didn't take any team yesterday with helmets and shorts. And I mean, wouldn't that just be horrible if the kid didn't get a quarter or two on Saturday because they're just that concerned about? this shoulder strain, you know, and they, you know, if he's got a little bit of pain, you know, they don't want him to throw it because they don't want to damage the arm and blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, it's 50-50. I don't, you know, I hey, if he's out there today and, and, and he takes 25 snaps with the team, that'll be great. Then that means he's, he's good to go. But, um, you know, it's an everyday thing. He's down there talking to Dr. Pat Andrews and they're touching and feeling and, probably MRIs once a week or so, and so it seems to be 50-50 right now. We should probably know. If he doesn't practice today, I don't I don't think you're going to see him touch the field in Buffalo. Well, we'll hope for the best here, Mike, and thanks for joining us. Great stuff as always. Appreciate it, Rowdy. Ben, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. See you. No problem. There's our Packer reporter, Mike Clemens. Love the audio because it's stuff that you don't always hear. Always. And just the little nuggets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and especially on Heflin, because I, I was mentioning, you look at Iowa uh, last year, like Chauncey Golston is the dude you're talking about, Davion Nixon on that defensive line. Yeah, Heflin wasn't a name, so, yeah. And his dad called it. His dad said, my son is going to be the one that's going to turn heads and make the squad. <laughs> I think he's right. And there's nothing more that I would like to do than bring in one of my top two sports directors of all time, Zach Heilprin. Zach, how are we doing this morning? Good. I feel like I'm a little high, too high ranked on that list, though. There are only three of them, so I figured you were definitely in the top two. Mm, top two, definitely two. <laughs> Could have been one. Could have been, but we're, let's be honest, Nelly. We're not. Zach, no matter how hard of a shell you have and mm. how you speak to me on these airwaves, I know that you love me somewhere in that heart. <laughs> mm. Deep. Deep in there. <laughs> Well, there is one thing I know that you love, and that's Wisconsin Badgers football. And you were out at practice uh, this weekend because they had their first open practice to the public, and a lot of uh, listeners were also there. So what were some of your takeaways just from getting a, another glance at this team? Yeah, there wasn't a ton from Saturday. I know, obviously, if you're seeing it for the first time, it probably opens it up. But, um, you know, Graham had some moments. Graham Hurts had some moments. Had some not-so-great moments. Um, that's kind of what fall camp has been for him. You know, some of the uh, a, a ton of pass breakups from the defense. Uh, John Torchio continues to be involved, um, backup safety, and you know, um, Colin Wilder as well. And then you know, it's it's some other jobs that are still open. And I, I think mainly, you know, I don't know if listeners probably care, but the biggest surprise of camp has been at center, where Cade Lyles, who was a, a two-year starter, you know, obviously last year at center, the year before uh, at guard, is not the starter anymore. Joe Tipman has passed him and. Um, I think that's, you know, inside, like inside, like people that care about offensive line play, that's, a, that's big news because um, you don't normally see that at Wisconsin. If you're a starter, you usually stay a starter, and that hasn't happened. So Joe Tripman's obviously been pretty darn good, and uh, he was there on Saturday, um, you know, with the first-team offense, and it's been that way for the past week and a half now. 
You know, you know as well as uh, Ben and I that there's definitely a niche for how the starting offensive line is at the University of Wisconsin. But I want to first talk about Graham Mertz because I know we've had a lot of people a little worried here in the last week because all of the press on Graham Mertz was didn't look good again, didn't look good again, and then all of a sudden I think it was uh, last week we started seeing oh guy looked like he was uh, back in Illinois for him. Yeah, yeah, and I talked to him yesterday uh, about. You know, just about his fall camp, and I'm like, it, it seemed like you guys got off to a little bit of a slow start. And he he pushed back pretty hard on that. Um, <laughs> maybe I used the word struggling. I don't think he used like the word struggling, <laughs> but um, yeah, he he pushed back, said no, no. It's just you know, a matter of getting in time and, and all that type of stuff. And as we build up, you know, the defense, which is always the case in all these camps, defense is always ahead of the offense. And with this defense returning as many starters as they did, that was certainly going to be the case. But um, he admitted. His, I mean, he admitted that Wednesday, last Wednesday, was easily his best day. They jumped. It really jump started the offense. He was on fire, um, and you know it, we saw a lot of that in the last two practices as well, Friday and Saturday. So, I, I think there was a big exhale after last Wednesday. But again, he always he has said that I didn't struggle at all. There's no struggling. There's no struggle on the on the offense's part. But it certainly seemed like it. But this last week has maybe calmed some some fears a little bit. I feel like it has. Speaking with or uh, talking with our sports director Zach Heilprin here, I know it's kind of put me at ease a little bit knowing that he's thrown the ball well. But one thing that you mentioned there was some of the injuries in camp, and again, another one of his big targets hasn't been at camp with some injuries. So I know there has been some injuries in that Wisconsin camp. If you'd like to touch on some of those. Yeah, obviously the big weapon I think you're mentioning is Danny Davis, who has uh, now missed four straight practices with a head injury. And, you know, obviously that's a concern no matter what, but it's probably heightened even more so by the fact that he missed the last five games last year with a concussion. We have, uh, so, you like, when you request somebody to talk to, um, if they are unavailable, it usually means they're still injured. And I requested Danny to talk to Danny yesterday, and he was not available. So I, was ha- so I had to rely on some other guys, and, and one of them was Kendrick Pryor, and you know, I kind of asked if he had any concern, you know, whether Danny's going to be able to play, and he said no, he's going to be fine. Um, you know, kept pushing a little bit further, and, and he just said no, I think he's going to be. I know I understand everyone's concern, but I think he's going to be straight. So, you know, we'll see. Um, but that has to be a huge concern because we saw what the offense was like without Danny and, and and Kendrick and injuries other places as well. But you know, when when Danny was in the lineup, they averaged forty seven points a game. The three games after he left, they didn't score ten. So. Um, He's, that's a big. That's a big part of it. And then you know, on the offensive line, they've they've dealt with some injuries throughout camp. Tyler Beach, the presumed left tackle, you know, had a bit of a uh, had to have foot surgery just before camp, and so he's been working his way back. He's hopeful to be. He did some one on ones yesterday. Hopeful to be back full time on uh, on Monday when they get prep started for Penn State. And then you know, Logan Bruss has kind of been in and out as well. Um, and then even the backups, Logan Brown, Tanner Borderlini, like they've they've been hurting at tackle. It's forced a whole bunch of different faces in, you know, with the first team. But I think uh, come Penn State, I think Tyler Beach and Logan Brush are going to be healthy, and you're going to have you know the offensive line that you want to have out there. So one of the big stories after last year was the struggles in the run game, and obviously not one guy stepping up and being that guy. What have you seen recently? Because we know. Jalen Berger and Ches Malusi are the presumptive one and two. What have you seen recently from the offense and from those two running backs that could give a hint as to what the rotation could look like in 12 days? Yeah, I, I think uh, you probably need to throw Isaac Grendo in there as well, just because he said, I think he's had a really strong camp. It felt like they weren't getting much done on the ground through the first 
five or six practices that we saw, but I thought on Saturday they ran really hard. Berger and Malusi ran really hard and did some of the stuff up the middle that I don't think a lot of people are expecting from them. They're not big guys by any stretch. Neither one of them is. And so I, I, I there's not going to be a bell cow if that's the the idea here. I, I don't, there's not going to be. I don't see a guy coming in and carrying 300 times like Jonathan Taylor did, you know, in pretty much all three of his seasons. So it is going to be broken down, I think, between Chez and Jalen and Isaac. And, um, you know, it's kind of a, I don't want to say a three-headed monster because I think the first two probably will get more snaps than anybody. But Isaac, if he stays healthy, I think has the most, he's the most athletically gifted. He's the fastest, he's the fastest kid on the team. He's about 215, 220 pounds. So he's got the size to him as well. And he, if he can just stay healthy, um, I think he's going to give him something. I know you said Berger, Malusi, the one, two. I, I kind of think it's going to be Malusi, Berger, but just because Jalen missed some time, um, he's dealing with some knee stuff. Um, he's, got a, he's got a chronic knee issue, I believe, is uh, what he's got, what he's dealing with. So that's always going to be a bit of a problem, I think. How did it take long for Malusi to kind of get in the swing of things and and look like he belonged in the backfield, or was it kind of uh, seamless the transition right when he started? Yeah, it was seamless. He was with the ones right away. You know, what I mean, like, and, and you know, you're getting to learn to run a little bit of a different scheme than probably he was used to at Clemson certainly. Uh, plays into that, but I, he he's looked pretty comfortable. He's the thing about him is he's him and Jalen. They both have great hands, so I think you're going to see them involved in the pass game. We haven't seen the running backs involved nearly enough, I think, in the pass game in recent years. And you know, it's always just so nice to be able to check ball down to a guy and, and you know get five yards, right? Like Dink and Dunk, Tom Tom Brady has done that for his entire career. Made you know James White has made him look great, made him look great for a long time because you're just able to dump it down and let him go get some yards and I think Graham probably needs to take advantage of that a little bit more than he did last year but both those guys can can uh, certainly catch rock and and make plays so we've been talking a lot here with our sports director Zach Heilprin about some of the bigger name guys the Graham Mertzes of the world the Danny Davises the Chaz Malusis the Jalen Berger some of the big time uh special players that you're going to see a lot. Do you have a name that you can put your uh, thumb on and say, this is a guy to watch that maybe a lot of people out there have never heard of? Mm. Probably have to go pretty far down because I think they've returned so many guys, right? I'll, I'll, you know, I think a couple of names. Um, I'll start at wide receiver with, with Marcus Allen. He's a true freshman. It was a little bit of a slow start for him, but he's starting to get a lot of reps that we saw late in practice and not late in camp that we were able to see. I don't know necessarily if that was because of Danny being out uh, or if he was just earning those reps. I think it was the latter. Uh, I talked to Kendrick prior yesterday, and I asked him if he thought he was going to play this year, and he said, I hope so. So, like, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, hype surrounding him, and I think he, I, I do think he's going to – if he can there's, – there's guys in front of him, no doubt, but I think he's going to have an opportunity to play at some point. You don't see that a ton from true freshmen. Obviously, Tim Ray DK was kind of forced into that last year, but – um, you know, Marcus Allen, I think, is, an, is a name to watch on, on that side of the ball. And then on, on defense, I think Spencer Lytle, an outside linebacker, and he's a, he was a you know, highly ranked kid coming in, has dealt with injuries. But it looked, I felt like he's had a really, really good camp at outside linebacker, getting around in it again, backup tackles. But um, he, he spent a ton of time in the backfield, and I, I do think he's got a, a real chance to make an impact, whether it's this year or next year, because obviously you have Nick Herbig and – um, Noah Burks as your starters, but I think Spencer's going to play a bunch. 
I, I remember it was big news when Marcus Allen decommitted for Michigan and ended up coming to Wisconsin. Last thing, so uh, Wisconsin obviously added Chesma Lucy transfer from Clemson. They also added Isaac Townsend from Oregon, a defensive end. What have you seen from him in that rotation? Because I, I know Matt Henningsen and Isaiah Mullins are presumptive starters in that spot, but it's a place where you replace two starters from last year. Is he going to figure into that rotation significantly when the season starts? I don't think so. Um, he has not been involved at all, to be honest with you. Um, so th- that's actually been the area I, th- I think people are probably cr- worried about on defense because you lose those two guys and Isaiah ran, uh, Isaiah Laudamilk and Garrett Rand, but th- it's been seamless. Like, I, you know, Keanu Benton's a star, right? But Matt Henning's getting Matt Henningson back at one of the end spots. You got Isaiah Mullins. But even behind them, you have Rodas Johnson and James Thompson Jr. Both of those guys, you know, James Thompson Jr., was going to play last year, uh, but you know, hurt himself on the first play of the Michigan game. Or as they said, the first play he was in on the Michigan game, and then um, you know, in Rodas hasn't really necessarily um, given been given a ton of opportunities. So I think those are going to be your your top four defensive ends. And then you know, it's interesting. I saw Keanu Benton uh, on Saturday. It was a defensive line of Keanu Benton at one end spot. It was Isaiah Mullins at another end spot, and then Bryson Williams at nose tackle. So I think that they may be moving Keanu around, trying to get him on the field more. He's certainly going to be in in the nickel when they go to their two defensive linemen, but I think they're trying to figure ways to get him on the field because he's just been so disruptive. Well, Zach, thanks for joining us. You know, it's something that a lot of people haven't really been able to see a ton of practices, especially in the last year plus. And mm. I just have one question. Are you going oh to be joining us at the red zone in 11 days? I wouldn't miss it for the world now. I don't I don't get to see you nearly enough. So that, that is definitely going to be an opportunity. I'm going to pull it down into us and get down to the red zone. Yeah, first red zone in how long? Since, uh, what, the Purdue game? In 2019? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think November of 19. Hey, and guess what? We still don't have any wireless mics, so that means you have to be probably within <laughs> six feet of me. Wait, that's, I'm okay with that. It was the person that was holding that mic before that I didn't want to be within six feet of. <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks for joining us, Zach. All right. Thank you. And there he is, our sports director, Zach Heilprin.